I arrived here this week, and it was 5.30 in the morning, and it was cold. <laughs> and I've never been here in autumn. And I discovered something that I didn't know. Your trees don't drop leaves. They drop bark. <laughs> All those eucalyptus trees. Very, very interesting. So, um, but I received such a warm welcome from the pastors here. And I just want to say, honestly, and Cora cannot be with me uh, this trip, but thank you for taking us into your heart. We really feel part of this family, and, and we're honored to, to be here. Now, if you uh, didn't know this by now, it is Mother's Day. <laughs> Actually, you're in trouble if you don't know it by now. And it's a very important day, I think, because the Bible teaches us to honor your father and your mother. Uh, Father's Day is also important, but it's not that expensive. <laughs> so, um, just welcome to all the, the onlineers, the YouTubers, the podcasters, the Instagrammers, the whatever is uh, great to, to be with you. So it is Family Sunday. So I'm going to speak about family. And I remember I grew up, in the years that I grew up, they had these old kind of uh, pictures on the wall with an old-fashioned frame that says, what is a home without a mother? <laughs> and it's true, what is a family with, without a mother? Now, I think my sermon is not your usual Mother's Day sermon, and I'm going to start with a, a shocking statement that seems unrelated to the topic, but I'm going to uh, make the connection later. So are you ready to be shocked? Here's the statement. God loves gangsters. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and that is true. God does love gangsters. Now, I want you to just use your sanctified imagination for a moment and think about a cross between Danny DeVito. You already have the picture. And then a, a man that maybe you have not heard of, but you've heard of his scheme. His name was Charles Ponzi. You heard about Ponzi schemes? Now, a combination between Danny DeVito and, uh, and Charles Ponzi is a short little man who will cheat you out of your money. Don't look at me. <laughs> I'm, I'm a Bible teacher. I'm talking about a Bible character. And there was a short man by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a notorious, wealthy con man of Jericho. And uh, although he never reached great heights, <laughs> his, his mother, as all mothers uh, are, had great ideals for him. And she named him Zacchaeus, which means pure, innocent. And um, when Zac was at the height of his crime career, or maybe at the lowest point, I should say. He actually heard about Jesus, and he showed this strong desire to see Jesus, 
and to know more about Jesus. So, uh, as the expression goes, he was up a tree, but he had an encounter with Jesus. And then Jesus actually went to his house, and Zach repented of his sins, and he promised to make restitution of all the wrongs that he had committed. Now, I love the response that I find from Jesus, and it's in Luke chapter 19 and verse 9. And here's what Jesus said, and I want you to listen to this carefully. Salvation has come to this home today. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Now, now, look at it carefully. Jesus didn't say salvation has come to this man today. But salvation has come to this home, this family. And it, I, I believe it's so significant because Jesus came to reveal the Father's heart to us. And he came to emphasize that God is the original Father and that he is interested in families. So God loves families. And if I can give a title to my message this morning, it's this. God is a household God. He's interested in every member of the household. Now, let me say it again. He's the original father. God invented families. And he wants to fix broken families. He wants to make them work again. He wants to save lost families uh, that maybe have gone astray and, and make them walk in his way. Now, if you read, even from the book of Genesis, God's desire was to establish families on the earth. He said to the first mother, Eve, and to Adam, be fruitful and multiply. Can I just say something here that I need to get off my chest? I go to some churches and, and there's a... There's a kind of a, uh, I don't know what to even call it, but they have the habit of referring to the pastor's wife as the first lady. <laughs> There's only one first lady, and that's Eve. <laughs> okay? And she was the first mother. Now, what is interesting, God wanted families. And uh, you can go throughout the, the Old Testament and see how God saved families, even if there was just one person, if you think of, uh, of the whole situation with Lot and his family. Uh, you can go and read that. Let me just read one more scripture, and then I want to get to what I want to actually share with you. And that is in, in Joshua 24 and verse 15. Here, uh, Joshua, who was the leader of Israel at that time, made this proclamation. He says, as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. And it's so amazing that Joshua uh, made that decision. We will serve God. And he influenced his family. If you go and read that scripture in its context, you'll find that eventually the whole nation was influenced by that statement of Joshua. So what I want to do today, I want to take you to some more examples in the Bible to show you that God is interested not only in individuals, but also in households, and I want to encourage you as an individual in a household to trust God for your whole family, for their salvation, for them to be blessed, 
Because I believe your faith can impact your family. Your faith can impact your community. Your faith can impact your world. Now, before I do that, I want to make this very clear. Coming to salvation is a personal choice that everyone has to take. You cannot believe for someone else, for their salvation. There's no such thing as surrogate salvation. No one can receive salvation for someone else. David Duplessis, who was known as Mr. Pentecost, made this statement. Simple but so true. God has no grandchildren. God only has children. You have to personally accept him as your father. But I want to say this, that sometimes someone in a family, especially someone uh, in charge of the family, a father or a mother can make a decision that could affect his or her whole family. And I believe that God looks favorably upon such a decision and he will pursue even uninterested or unwilling family members. So today I want to speak to, to the mothers. This is not a message about mothers. This is a message to mothers. For mothers, and for grandmothers, and daughters, and fathers, and sons. And I want to say, your faith can influence your extended family. And I want you to see that. So, there are many biblical examples uh, and evidences that I could use uh, to show God's desire to save whole families. But I'm just going to focus on the book of Acts. So, if you... Uh, want to turn to the book of Acts, I'll give you the, the scriptures now. It's kind of in the, on the right-hand side of your Bible in the New Testament. But I want to focus on five households pertinently mentioned in the book of Acts. And then I, I want you to, to uh, remember these scriptures and uh, use them as promises that you can claim and stand on in faith for your unsaved family. So, let me introduce you to these individuals and to these households. And I'm going to give you some personal details about them so that you can see that God uses ordinary people. And maybe you can relate to, to some of them. Here's the first household uh, individual with this household, and that is Cornelius, the army officer, and his household. So, very interesting, the first Gentile family who became Christians. In Acts 10, verses 1 and 2, it says there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Now, here, here's an example of someone, uh, and, and, and it's interesting how God moved mountains for an earnest, devout man and his household, even though the odds were against them. Humanly speaking, God went to a lot of trouble to get Cornelius and his family saved. Now, let's, let's look at the background of Cornelius. Who was he? He was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. His Latin name, Cornelius, and his rank, centurion, uh, tell us that he was Italian. He was a high-ranking officer. 
he was not a godfather. But I'm sure that if he were a godfather, there would have been a godmother somewhere in, in the picture. But it's very clear that he came from a pagan, polytheistic, uh, idolatrous religious background. So that's his background. But he had a hunger after God, probably tired of idolatry and the accompanying immorality. And you can go and check out all, all these facts, facts. Trust me, I'm a preacher. So here's the bottom line. Again, God loves pagans. God loves heathens. <laughs> now, although he was not even a Christian, he was religious and sincere. We read that he feared God. Now, obviously, we always have to fear God. But there's a difference between just fearing God and loving God. And he was going to come into a relationship with a, a God that, that he could love, uh, although he didn't know Jesus. So he was, uh, he was a good man. He gave alms to the poor, etc., etc. But he was faithful in his prayers, and it says that his prayers came up as a memorial before God. Isn't that amazing that God listens to prayers of someone who's not saved, but is hungry? After him. Wow. So one day in broad daylight, it was three o'clock in the afternoon, Cornelius was fasting. And what happens? God actually sends an angel to him and gave him a word of knowledge about Peter. Now, again, this astounds me that God can do this for an unbeliever still. And he, sa he, he says to him, uh, send some of your men to Joppa, and then you'll find a man called Simon. His surname is Peter, and he will tell you words. Listen to this. This is in Acts 11, uh, verses 13 and 14. Words by which you and your household will be saved. Wow. So God told him the name of the man. His name is Simon Peter. He gave him his exact address. He said he's staying with another Simon who was a leather worker. And you can just follow your nose because leather workers had a bit of an aroma around them. He tells him where he lives uh, in the seesaw uh, suburb of, uh, of Joppa, modern-day Tel Aviv. And God also told him what the result of of his visit or the men's visit to Peter would be. He says that he will come and tell you. Now, here's what happens. So these men arrive at Peter's house or where he was staying, and God speaks to Peter before they even are there. And he gives him a vision that was quite disturbing to Peter as a Jew because he shows him all these unclean animals uh, uh, descending out of heaven and um, it's almost like God had to shock Peter out of his Jewish prejudices. Because he says, <laughs> you need to slaughter these animals and eat them, those that he saw in, in, in the vision. They were unclean animals. And here's what God is saying to, to Peter. I love Gentiles. No one is too bad to be saved. And God actually shocked Peter out of his religious racism, out of his spiritual xenophobia. <laughs> and he, he sends those uh, 
men and the Holy Spirit then tells him to go with his men. And then it says that he arrived at Caesarea and he preached the gospel uh, to Cornelius and he was already uh, uh, having his whole family and close friends there and they were all um, saved. They accepted Jesus and they were baptized. Now, tradition claims that Cornelius started a church in Caesarea. Whether that's true, I don't know, but I just want to say this. God can do it again. God can save the most unlikely families. He's not a respecter of persons. So that's the first household. The second one, and now I'm getting to the mothers. Second household we read about is Lydia, the businesswoman, and her household. So God doesn't just work with patriarchs. He also works with matriarchs. And he, he loves to do that. So Lydia was from a place called Thyatira in Asia Minor. By occupation, let me use modern language, she had a fabric shop, a clothes shop. And she specialized in purple cloths. Is there anybody wearing purple today? I cannot see you that well. Anybody? You are royalty. <laughs> Tell your neighbor that. You are royalty because only royal Royalty and rich people actually wore purple. It was a very expensive thing. It was imported from her hometown, and they used uh, the material to make Roman togas, etc., etc. So uh, when we read of her here, she had moved to Europe, to the city of Philippi in Macedonia, probably a, a, a quite a wealthy businesswoman, and with a house large enough to accommodate guests and her business. She had a home industry. She wasn't in the Glen shopping mall. She had it in, in her house. So God sent Paul and his company to that city, and they encountered Lydia when they held an open-air meeting. Uh, Acts 16, you can go and read the, the background. It says that, that on the Sabbath, they went there, they encountered her. And it says in, in, in verse 14, one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. You see, sometimes people know about God and they're religious, but they have not accepted Jesus yet. And God saw that. Verse 15, when she... And the members of her household were baptized. She invited us to her home. And then um, she said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And, and she persuaded them. So it's important to see that God is interested in uh, every kind of person. Now, let me again say some personal things about Lydia. Like Cornelius, she was a non-Jew. Isn't it amazing? The first two households in the book of Acts are all Gentiles. Uh, she was probably a proselyte to Judaism. Uh, she went with the people to pray on the Sabbath. It says that she was a worshiper of God. She was fervent in prayer like Cornelius. And she was well off. She was generous. She invited Paul and his party to stay at her house. Now, interesting we do not read about her husband. Maybe she was a widow. Maybe she was a single mother. But she was instrumental in getting her whole household saved. Now, incidentally, whole household could include her family and those who worked for her in her home industry. 
So again, I want to say this. God wants to use individuals to get your whole household, your whole uh, circle of influence saved. Uh, this is a fact that the first church in Europe was started in that city of Philippi, and probably she was involved there. So mothers, God can do it again. Amen. And he can do it for you. The third household we read about, again, Gentiles. Isn't that amazing? The Philippian prison warden and his household. Now, my Bible that I use still says jailer. But I know today you need to be PC, you need to be politically correct. So he was actually, in today's language, a security officer of, or a supervising custodian in a correctional facility. But he was a jailer. <laughs> and we read about him in Acts 16, and, and we know that Paul and Silas landed in prison. So uh, God supernaturally releases them. The jailer is in big trouble because he obviously knows that uh, 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 there will be problems for him. But it says in verse 30, now this is in the middle of the night because that's when they sang these songs of praise. He brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, and listen to these significant words again. I love this because it reveals God's heart. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Wow. Then um, it says, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, when they brought him into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Wow. So here's another Gentile household. Now, what do we know about this prison warden? He lived in the city of Philippi, where Lydia also resided. Uh, it was, it was uh, the capital of the Roman province of Macedonia. A strong military presence was there. And there was this prison. And um, he was, again, a non-Jew. Not even God-fearing as Cornelius and Lydia were. But he had fear for his superiors. And uh, he thought that he would be harmed because his prisoners escaped. Now, here's something interesting, and I don't have time to go into this. But if you go and read um, Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, and you compare it with this situation here, there were two responses from the people. In Acts 2, the question is this. Brethren, because they were Jews. So they asked the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? His response is, sirs, what shall I do? He was not religious. He was not a Jew. So you see, the Jews already had a background of who God was. He had no background. He totally had to change his belief system. And God did that for him. And instantly. And I love the fact that it says he was, he was baptized at the same hour, in the middle of the night. Couldn't wait for the morning. Now, I, I want to share this with you at, at no extra cost. <laughs> it's so important to, to see that he 
was absolutely persuaded of the message of the gospel. And he and his family got, got baptized. I, I need to tell you the story. I, um, I once received a call from a family, and they were not in what we would call a Pentecostal or charismatic church, but they somehow got hold of a message that I preached on water baptism, and they phoned me and said, can I come and baptize them? This was in the middle of winter. <laughs> on a Wednesday. So I said, great, yeah, I, I can do that on Sunday. We have a, a baptismal pool that is warmed up. <laughs> they said, we cannot wait for Sunday. Can you come tonight? So I wanted to suggest to them that we do it in the bath where there's some water, warm water but they had a swimming pool. <laughs> so, so they were, they were actually, they became, we all became KFC Christians. The kingdom of frozen Christians. I didn't need an icebreaker that night. I was the icebreaker. <laughs> So we baptized this whole family in the middle of the night. Now, let me say this. That is evidence that someone is fully convinced and persuaded of the truth of God's word. And it's like this, this jailer in, in Philippi. Now, as I said, the first church in Europe was started here in, in Philippi. And maybe the jailer became the janitor of the church building because he was used to carrying keys around. <laughs> That's just my imagination going again. But I want you to see again, God is interested in households. A fourth household, and this time we're getting to the Jews, is a man called Crispus. I called him Crispus the minister and his household. And we read about him in Acts 18. It speaks about Paul, and it says that he departed from there. And it's probably a reference to the synagogue. And entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Now listen to this. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord, and I like this again, with all his household. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Now very interesting, uh, his name Crispus in Latin literally means crisp. That's where we get the word from. And um, so it means crisp or fresh. And he was the father. So we can call him Father Crispus. <laughs> or in more modern vernacular, Daddy Cool. <laughs> that, <laughs> that was his name. I'm so sorry, but my imagination sometimes goes places where... I have to kind of draw some lines sometimes, some boundaries. But unlike the person that we mentioned earlier, he was a Jew. He was more than that. He was the ruler of the synagogue. So in a sense, he was a religious minister. And he, and here's some good news for those in connect groups, he got saved in a connect group, not in a synagogue. He got saved in the house next to the synagogue, and uh, uh, became a believer. So, interesting, he's one of the few people 
who Paul personally baptized. So the family of Crispus took a bold stand with him for Christ, if you go and read in the context further in Acts 18. And the result of this um, man coming to Christ was that Paul spent a year and a half there in, in that city and established a very strong church. And here's the, the good news. God can save religious people. Amen. Amen. He can do it again. The last household that I want to introduce you to, and here's again where I want to focus on the mothers and the grandmothers, is Lois, the grandmother and her household. Now, we don't read about her in the book of Acts, uh, but we, we do read about her her daughter, and her grandson. In Acts 16, here from verse 1, it again speaks about Paul who came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. Timothy was the son of a certain Jewish woman who had believed, but his father was Greek. And it says that he was well spoken of by the brethren. Now, what do we know about Timothy? First of all, many scholars say that Timothy's father was probably not a believer. That's why Luke refers to him here just as, as a Greek. And um, we, we're not even sure whether the father was alive when this was written. But it pertinently mentions the mother, the Jewish mother. And uh, I'm going to read a scripture in a moment or two. Her name was Eunice, and she was a believer. She called the son Timothy, which means dear to God. So she had high uh, aspirations and desires for uh, uh, her son. So we'll see later when Paul writes to Timothy, he mentions the faith of Timothy's mother and of his grandmother. He doesn't mention the father, so we don't know whether the father was alive or whether he became a believer later. What we do know is that he was taught the scriptures from infancy. Listen to this scripture, 2 Timothy 3.15, where Paul writes to him and he says, You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood. Who taught him? His mother. And they gave you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting or having faith in Christ Jesus. So his grandmother and his mother were dedicated believers. I, I, here's such a beautiful story I heard about four theologians, and they were having a debate about what is the best Bible translation in English. So the first theologian said he favored the King James Version because of its expressive and dramatic old-style English. The second one said, I like the English Standard Version because it's the, the latest. It's um, accurate in translating the original text. The third scholar said, I like the New Living Translation for its contemporary phrases that it uses and modern in idioms that make it easy to understand. And uh, The fourth person was, was quiet for a while, and then this theologian said, I personally prefer my mother's translation. <laughs> and so the other three theologians were quite amused. But he explained. He says, yes, my mother did translate the scriptures. She translated each page of the Bible into life. 
and it's the most convincing translation I've ever read. And mothers, I can, I can tell you this. Let your children prefer your translation of the Bible. So here's the important scripture in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 5. Paul writes to Timothy here and he says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, uh, Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. Now, I, I want to say again, you cannot believe for someone else, but your faith can become an inheritance. They can see the example in you. And mothers, this is what, what God wants. Even Paul, he speaks about the faith um, uh, or, or, or the way that his forefathers served God. So you can leave a, a legacy. Timothy, we know the result of this whole thing, became Paul's traveling companion, a spiritual son, a fellow worker of Paul, co-author of some of Paul's uh, epistles, and functioned as a pastor at a, at a young age. So, God clearly is a household God. And that is what I want you to remember. If you go to these scriptures, I want you to claim them as promises. Now, I want to conclude with this, and I love concluding. I sometimes conclude ten times in one sermon. So, here's my first conclusion. <laughs> God is not just a household God. He's a generational God. And your faith can influence generations to come. Isn't it amazing that God in the Old Testament introduces himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and we can continue. But God was trying to give us a message. I am not just interested in one generation. I want to be the God of the next generation too. Amen. And you know, I, I, I know people who are into all kinds of generational curses and things. And they say that, that uh, the third and the fourth generation will experience these curses. It says of those who hate God, by the way. But they leave out this important thing. In the same scripture where it says that I will visit the sins of the third and the fourth generation, he says, but I will show my steadfast covenant love to a thousand generations. And Deuteronomy 7 and verse 9, one of those scriptures where Moses speaks to Israel, he says, know this, God, your God is God indeed, a God you can depend on. He keeps his covenant of loyal love with those who love him and observe his commandments for a thousand generations. Mothers, influence the next generation. God's looking for one member in a household. You know what's interesting? The Bible says we are the body of Christ. Even if you're the foot, God just wants a foot in the door. That'll keep that door open for the whole household. 
Maybe you've been praying for unsaved family, for your children for a long time. Don't give up. God's interested in your whole household. Oh, I wish I had more time here, but let me just mention one thing so you can go and read it up in 1 Corinthians 7. It, it speaks about a wife married to an unbeliever. And then it gives this good news. It says, that unbelieving husband is sanctified. Not saved, sanctified by the believing wife. What does that mean? Sanctified means separated. And here's the good news. You cannot save your husband, but you can sanctify your husband and your household, which means you're separated under the care and the protection of God. You can claim the covenant benefits for your family. Because God is interested in your whole family. 